Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My amazing sponsors for season two of One for the Road are Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. Boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all Rock Sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drink. My guest today on One for the Road is an author, speaker and sobriety coach. He talks very openly about his childhood trauma, his battle with alcohol and how he eventually overcame his addiction with the dreaded wine bottle. I really hope you get as much out of this episode as I have. It was a real joy talking to him. So let me introduce you to the amazing Simon Chappell. So welcome Simon Chappell to my podcast, One for the Road. We've been friends for a couple of years now and we work together and we've even had a coffee in Guildford. How are you today, mate? I'm great and thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really honoured to be here, Dave. Oh, it's a, it's a real honour for me as well, mate. And we, we are fortunate enough to be able to talk quite in depth with each other. We're quite deep, aren't we? But that's why I've asked you on today because uh, you don't mind sharing your journey and people know you as an author and a coach. But I'd really love to go right back, actually, Simon, and talk about how it was for you growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I found that what I think a lot of people connect with in my own journey and the stuff I share is the fact that I'm quite open and transparent. I've even had a few people say to me, you know, how are you able to be so open and, and honest about you know, your stuff and your past and some of these issues that have troubled me across the years. But for me, it feels like a kind of what a public therapy, which actually really helps me. But I can also see how that might be challenging for some people. And hopefully by sharing my stuff and being open, other people will find their own strength and see that there's no shame in being able to do that. It's actually really helpful. But yeah, I'd be quite happy to um, talk about that and explore it in a bit more depth. And I think you're the same, Dave. You share a lot of personal stuff, which is very, very powerful, you know, especially in some of your Instagram posts as well. You know, it's really, really quite um, amazing to see how many people are able to do that, especially men. 
you don't get a lot of that no i know and and that's why i think we get on so well because you know we have our phone calls and before we know it an hour's passed and we're both thinking oh god we've got a coaching session in five minutes and, <laughs> yeah. but i just think it's important and as you say especially for men to share because that doesn't happen a lot these days and i think we're both really passionate about getting men to share their feelings and letting them feel that it's okay to talk about things completely and I think a big part of me, for, sorry, a big part of my sober journey, it, it has been around connecting with my feelings and my emotions. Uh, and that you mentioned about kind of going back. I mean, the first bit I'd quite like to go back to is how the whole drinking, um, daily drinking cycle impacted my marriage and how my wife and I just became so disconnected. We were kind of like ships in the night you know we were living under the same roof and we were around each other but because I was so focused on booze and servicing my addiction we just didn't connect on an emotional level and it affected us in just about every area of our relationship and I'm actually surprised we didn't end up getting divorced and it was through the process of reconnecting after we quit where we went and did some couples therapy that I started to understand how my childhood, how all those things from the past had massively impacted me as an adult and, and actually sent me towards so many different addictive behaviours, alcohol in particular, which seemed to become my staple, my way of escaping my feelings. And it, yeah, that door really opened for me. And I think I talk about inner child stuff and looking at our past quite a bit. But I also think it's very important that people don't dive straight into that. If somebody's early on the journey, I think it's crucial just to focus on the now, focus on getting a few weeks, months under your belt. And then when you feel ready, I think you kind of know when the time's right. That's when you want to start looking at what I call the second phase of sobriety, which is exploring your past. And I feel that that's the roots of addiction. I actually have been reading a book recently about toxic shame and how we carry shame from our past. And it says quite categorically, toxic shame is at the roots of all addictive behaviour. And I'm inclined to agree when you actually start understanding how we can carry this shame and a feeling of inadequacy and a sense that in some way we're not good enough. We try and numb out those feelings. And that was absolutely what I did. My childhood was fairly troubled. I, I used to think it was perfect. And this was another sign of me just being in complete denial about everything. But actually, my father, my biological father was just completely disinterested in me from the moment I was born. And I actually only found this piece of information out yesterday, I knew he had abandoned me. But um, he, he was actually completely disinterested too. And as a result of that, my mother was sort of using me to meet her emotional needs after he left just before I was two, which kind of smothered me. And my mum had her own stuff going on and she was kind of emotionally absent. I think she was more worried about meeting her own emotional needs than looking after mine. So I, I grew up emotionally challenged and my mother was on the one hand very permissive and would let me do whatever I wanted. But on the other hand, she was very controlling. 
And actually, she and I had a therapy session yesterday and I was talking to in the session about how she would invade my privacy as a child. And there was a time when she found some weed in my bedroom. So this is a great example of the controlling behavior versus the permissive. And she found this weed in my room. So she was like snooping through my stuff, which is a huge invasion of privacy. And then she suggested we smoke it together, which was you know, completely permissive. So there was this controlling need to know everything about me and be into my stuff. And at the same time, actually, let's just smoke it together. And so I had this very confused message growing up. And also my template for masculinity, my the way I learned about being a man was from my mum. I was given her version of what it meant to be a man which obviously is probably not going to be the the most suitable template so I think a lot of the behaviors I learned and picked up were from there and then um, when I was about four I think my stepdad came into my life and he was a a really regular red wine drinker and I, I really looked up to him and truly thought that that was a sophisticated thing to do that was what grown-ups do so I would often as I got older sort of probably 12 onwards try and sneak a sip try and take the bottles of wine back to my bedroom but another thing that was really underlying in the whole family dynamic for me and I, I truly believe Someone said to me about a year ago, secrets destroy families. And I truly believe that. I think the more authentic we can be, the more we can say our truth, even when it's uncomfortable, the the better place we're going to find ourselves in. That my mum had actually got with my stepdad to A, provide me with a father, which was actually quite you know, thoughtful. She was looking out for my needs. And to give herself some financial stability, they never really loved each other. And she owns this. She accepts that this is the case. But it meant that I grew up in a family dynamic with my stepdad where there was no love in the household. We didn't go on family days out. We had one family holiday in 15, 20 years. It was a a family that was just functioned, I suppose, rather than a family that was a place of love and I think I picked I sensed it I picked up on it and that played out in a lot of my behaviors and my need to sort of feel loved to feel wanted especially after the rejection of my biological father so alcohol seemed like this relationship that gave me something it numbed a lot of these challenging feelings that I had going on the anxiety that was building within me the confusion and the issues I had with rejection, you know, as I as I grew up, I can even remember in junior school at the school disco kissing the first ever girl that I'd kissed and feeling like I was in love. And then the next day she rejected me. And I, I can remember that clearly even now, which shows how powerful rejection was to me because of what had happened. And I've continued to sort of feel that and uh, notice how it played out in my life. Even when I had my marketing business, if a client left a negative review about the company, I would take that as rejection. I would be upset about it for days. I wouldn't sleep at night because it would bother me so very much. And I feel like through the work I've done in sobriety, the work I've done around exploring myself and being able to look inwards, to to look at my feelings and emotions, I've actually worked through a lot of that now. doesn't mean I don't 
feel rejected at times, but I can handle it much, much better. And when I work with people in sobriety coaching, I think there's this very immediate, I want to stop drinking, it's ruining my life kind of approach. And and I was the same. I just want to stop drinking that horrible liquid in the bottle. And I think if people could see that actually there's so much more to this, it's not just about that in the now, day-to-day, things are going to change. It actually changes things on such a, a deep level. We, we can't avoid looking at ourselves without that false mask, that fake armour that alcohol gives. We we have to look in the mirror and sometimes that can be really uncomfortable like seeing who we really are or starting to work out who we really are it can be challenging and it was very difficult for me and I think often that's why people go back to drinking they don't want to face into that stuff but it's actually an incredibly powerful thing to be able to do Mm. and so many people get to a place where they are spending their whole lives being a false version of themselves, Mm -hmm. people pleasing and not really showing up in the world as that authentic person. And and it's, it's draining. It's emotionally taxing to be doing that day in, day out, to be able to show up as whether I'm on your podcast or whether I'm going out with friends or going to work as the same version as, as me, it's liberating and it makes me feel light. So yeah, that, that was sort of the early sort of part of my life. And then as I moved into my teenage years, that kind of permissive allowing me to do anything alongside very controlling, strict um, behaviour continued from my mother and played out through my father. And then when I was 13, I suffered sexual abuse at the hands of a neighbour, an older lad. I mean, he was probably in his early 20s and I was 13, which really left me feeling totally confused about my sexuality I can remember coming out of his house which was literally opposite my parents and thinking does this mean I'm gay Uh, and I just didn't know anything I'd never really been with a girl I knew I was attracted to girls and wasn't attracted to guys and I was just so confused about myself and it was probably the last thing that I needed at that time in my life Um, so that was quite troubling and I never even shared with anybody until I was over 40 years old that that had happened to me I held so much shame around it but when I became able to talk openly about it I realized that it was allowing me to claim back a lot of the power in the situation and I ended up doing a video on my YouTube channel about it and the number of messages I received from people who had also suffered sexual abuse or other types of abuse was just incredible. There was one lady who, within minutes of this video going live, she sent me a message and she said, I'm sat in tears outside the school waiting to pick my son up. And I've never told anybody this, but I also suffered a similar type of abuse. And just started to realise the power of this journey and the power of sharing stuff. So I feel like I've by sharing my story, I've made it mine. I've claimed it back. It's no longer the abuser's story. It's my mm. story now. Uh, and that was very powerful for me. Yeah, it's uh, a, a really, really powerful story, mate. And, you know, I've been looking into a lot um, around addiction and attachment. There's um, a guy on YouTube, John Balby. There's loads of videos out there. And and when I grew up, although my 
mum and dad at the time were quite solid. There wasn't a lot of I love you, I'm proud of you in the family home, you know. So we, we, we had a strict upbringing as well. But they weren't really big drinkers. So when you said your stepdad was drinking wine, it almost glamorised the drinking, didn't it? And that was your sort of role model in your life of, oh, he's a man and he's drinking wine, that's cool and whatever. But with all your trauma that went on as well, that all added to it. So it's no wonder that um, when you found alcohol, that it it is what we call emotional blunting, isn't it? And it's really interesting what you say, that when people eventually do decide to stop, it's hard enough to actually stop. But it's when you deal with those conversations in your head. And in fact, I had a conversation yesterday as well, ironically, with someone who is 100 days sober in a few days' time. And all these painful memories from his past have come up and haunt him now and you're right that's why people start drinking again because they can't handle them but the most powerful thing to do is to sit with those feelings and that can be really really tough especially if you've been drinking for a long time and you don't know how to connect emotionally with those you know and like for what you're doing you're sharing those feelings to talk about being abused as a child is a massive, massive thing. But like that woman who reached out to you saying she was in tears, that can help her begin the journey on her own of that exploration of her past as well. So I can just say, mate, I'm so proud of you that you've been able to do that and, and you've explored that as well. It's really brave. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's it is always overwhelms me and i'm probably the same with you dave but um how you know how many people are touched by the stuff that we share other people share it's just incredible you're absolutely right though you know that facing into those feelings uh, after a period of sobriety that person you mentioned who was around 100 days it doesn't surprise me that that stuff kind of is is bubbling under the surface and now coming up uh, and I think sitting with the feelings journaling them um, it is absolutely the right thing to do I've shared quite a bit on my YouTube channel and my blog about actually how to process different types of feelings like if there's a feeling of fear then courage is the way to overcome it if there's a feeling of shame bringing it out into the light is the way to overcome it anger releasing it is the way to overcome it so actually learning how to address specific feelings but a lot of people who've been drinking daily or regularly they don't even know what they're feeling I didn't Mm. I I didn't even know so I downloaded an emotion wheel off of Google which they actually use for kids but Mm. it's just an image that allows people to really specifically understand what they're feeling in any given moment Uh, and it was a massive help to start just labeling my feelings and I think that's a great place to start just in the early days, how am I feeling? Just check in with yourself. I have that wheel. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I do have it and it's brilliant. But I also think what you said earlier is really important that there's certain things that you have to leave alone in the beginning. You have to part them. You have to concentrate on, on what you're doing in the here and now. And gradually and slowly, it's like training for a marathon. You're not going to put your trainers on and run a marathon. You need to work up to it, don't you? And it's like some of these things that are deep, deeply ingrained from the past, you need proper therapy and you need time to sort of heal and deal with it. And and that's 
what I had this conversation with this person yesterday was, you know, you, you really need to park this for now because you're not in a, a mostly balanced place to deal with it at the moment. And the problem is that the society we live in, everything is about fast delivered to your door in an instant, fast broadband, you know, food, etc. Mm. Amazon, every, everyone wants everything today. Yeah. And it is one of those journeys, as you rightly say, that there is that uncertainty, that period of waiting and just being with it, which can feel really, really tough. It definitely did yeah. for me. So how bad did your drinking get then? I would say at its peak, it was two or three bottles of red wine a day with beer on top, a couple of cans of beer. I was very disciplined in my addictive behaviour. So I would never start drinking before 7pm because I was running a business. But as soon as it got to that time, the wine would come out. I would you know, be shooing my son away. I would just be completely focused on getting that substance inside me. And I would just drink and drink and drink. I could get through an entire wine box in one sitting sometimes. And I, I guess, I think whilst it's not so much about the volume of alcohol we were drinking, I think is the level to which it impacts our lives. And I just now looking back, I can see how obsessed I was with it, how it touched every single area of my life uh, in a negative way from being a parent, a partner, my work, my health, everything became negatively impacted. So it, it was it was bad, really bad. You almost become like the most selfish person in the world, but you can't kind of help it, can you? Because, you know, for me, I would be present all the time. But as soon as I... Um, pop that wine open or the strong cider, I would go into myself then and think, right, this is my time. This is my reward. And no one's going to interfere with that. And when I was interfered with, as in you've got this responsibility, you need to do that, or we need to have this conversation, I, I would be like a tiger. Do you know what I mean? It's like you've burst my bubble. And my wife, Em, she used to say to me, she could tell when I was leaving the room, as in my eyes. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I would drink really, really quickly. I would have three 8.4% ciders or three really large glasses of wine to get that immediate buzz. And we all know that only lasts half an hour anyway. And after that, I'll go into a huge decline of solitude. And I just wasn't pleasant to be around. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really, because I used to drink so quickly, I never enjoyed the experience anyway. So it, it was never for the taste. It was for the effect. Yeah, completely. And I can totally relate to what you're saying. You know, you're, you're mentally absent after you start drinking. And I think the big thing with me was I, I just became arrogant, dismissive of people. As you say, it's selfish. And, and that was exactly what came out in me. And the, the thing I find so frustrating about that is there are things within the work I've done in my therapy and healing my past where the word selfish has come up a lot around my parents you know and it's, it's something I hate in other people so to be that in myself is you know obviously upsetting and quite emotionally triggering but that was where I was going it's interesting you said about I was present until I started drinking in your experience because for me I, I think I spent so much time thinking about drinking, thinking about buying it, thinking about how much I was going to have. 
I don't know as I was all that present. I, th- I like to think I was, but in reality, I don't know as I was. Yeah, I, I think when I say present, I don't mean as in I, I was a completely different person. What I mean was I was, I suppose, how they say functioning. So right, yeah. I, I would, um, I have business as well, and I would fully operate in that. So I'll get in the van, and I probably drank a litre of vodka the night before. So I was probably five, six times over the limit dreading looking in my mirror seeing if there was a bloody copper car behind me or anything like that you know and and if them ever asked me to do anything I would do it but you're right in the morning the first thing I would think about would be oh my god I've got a serious problem I feel absolutely terrible I've got to stop this you know all that sort of talk like that and by lunchtime when you start to feel a little better you start to think okay well maybe I can have one tonight and then by the afternoon you well look I get I get my box of wine or I'll get my little yeah. or I'll get me eight pack of beers and that. And I just have a couple knowing for well that it's denial, you know? So I suppose when I say I was present, it was like I lived up to my responsibilities at the time, albeit probably not on firing on 50% of the cylinders. But as soon as I started drinking, I just, it was, like I might as well just had a night away because I just didn't want to know anything. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And what you, what you said about the limit, you know, the, the drink drive limit, every day when I did the school run, when my son was younger, exactly what you just said, that worry about the police pulling you over. I knew I was over the limit. And to be doing that, taking my son to school, just it flew in the face of my own values. And mm. you know, I was out of integrity every single morning when I was doing that, but I still did it. But, you know, the irony is, is that I would never, ever drink and drive in the evening. I would never think, you know, if someone said to me, this is weird, right? Someone say, right, there's a bit of a soiree up the road. It's only a couple of hours long. And I say I had to drive. I wouldn't even have one. But yeah, that, same, same. Yeah, but that wasn't so much of, well, it's not worth risking one and driving it. Because if I had one, I'd want ten. But I could quite honestly not drink. But then I would make sure that I had enough time to get plastered when I got back and it's irony about the fact that I wouldn't drink and drive yet in the morning I always did and as you say it goes against your core values completely you know and especially when you know you've got kids in the car or whatever yeah. it's yeah it's incredible and we just convince maybe we convince ourselves that oh actually I'm not really over the limit it'll be all right I know it's all the denial isn't it so at what point in your life did you start to really question it? I mean, we all do, and then we just push it aside. But what stage of your drinking did you think, I've really got to get a handle on this now? I think it was around 2013 where I began to notice the negative effects of alcohol. I mean, I'd obviously noticed negative effects like being sick, falling up the stairs and being an idiot at times. But it was really having an impact on my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my son. And I started putting two and two together. There were a few episodes of regrettable behaviour, doing stupid things that probably could have got me killed, you know, falling over in the road and, and actually sort of looking back and thinking, actually, they, you know, they were quite big. They were big moments. And in the past, I would have just dismissed them. But I, I began noticing things particularly in the media that I would previously have ignored I never would have listened to an article on the news about the 
effects of alcohol on the body, for example. And I remember actually starting to pay attention and, and hearing this stuff and realizing the damage it was causing me. And it just, it started that inner debate in my mind. There was most of me wanted to carry on drinking at that time, but part of me was now questioning it. And that just grew. It grew and grew in my head. And I, I talk about this in my books, that once you've got that in your head, you've moved out of ignorant bliss and you've suddenly become aware there's a problem. You can never go back to ignorant bliss. And I think that's why a lot of people go round and round in circles at the start, because they keep trying to go back to ignorant bliss. But the reality is the bridge is burned. And it was only when I realised that, which took about five years of painful wondering what to do and feeling stuck with a problem and not knowing how to solve it. It was only when I realized that, that I realized the only way out is to go through and to actually go into this journey. When you did that, was it, did you like literally stop or what kind of support did you get for that? I tried to stop a few times just on willpower and it didn't work. And it was through educating myself and learning about sobriety the benefits of it the fact that I wasn't losing anything at all and getting into Facebook communities um, connecting on Instagram that kind of thing that I started to feel that this whole community this whole thing was bigger than me they talk about finding a higher power in the 12 steps of AA for me the higher power is that community is something bigger than me, something I can't control, but has got so much power in my life. So it was really education, reading lots of books, and then connecting in groups. And I got quite competitive. There, I found a few people who I wanted to be like, I wanted to be just like them. And that really spurred me on speaking openly about my stuff gave me a real kind of positive type of pressure that was like an accountability and showing up every day and just putting the work in really kept motivating me but if I've described it before a bit like I believed sobriety to be like this amazing like nightclub where it was paradise inside and there were these two big bouncers on the door and I kept trying to get in and they kept turning me away and I knew everybody inside had these this amazing happy peaceful life and they were having such a great time and I knew I had to show up as alcohol free to get in that door and I was determined to get through that door and never go back out again and it just it just required work and and effort I think you've You've got to want to be alcohol free more than you want to keep drinking. It's almost like the scales have to tip. Mm. But again, like you describe it as this nightclub, but some sometimes you go out clubbing and it's not quite the night that you yeah. thought it, it would be. And I think that's an important message to portray as well, is that the benefits are incredible when you give up drinking, but you can have those real up and down moments. And like we talked before about sitting with your emotions, sometimes it's so important to sit with it and not expect too much, lower the expectations that it's not this magic wand to life where you stop drinking and everything's absolutely amazing because we've both shared that we can have some real, real down periods in sobriety and I think that's important to acknowledge as well. Completely. And I think the big thing in all of that 
that you've just explained, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, there are up and down periods. There's a big period after we quit where our brain and our body are rebalancing and our emotional stability can be all over the place. So just from a healing perspective, there's emotional ups and downs. But equally, we're tapping into the human experience. We're starting to feel feelings. And that includes feelings of joy, happiness, peace, but also feelings of sadness, anxiety. And there can be some of it that feels almost like grieving, grieving the end of a toxic relationship, grieving, in my case, the childhood I never had. And it can be tough. Yeah, it can be. But until we face into that stuff and work through it, we're going to forever be stuck trying to just numb those emotions out. Yeah, and I see that so many times as well. And it's really sad um, to see people that almost not lie to themselves, but the denial, I suppose they are in a way. and, And what I, at my age... Are really keen to do is to make people aware that it's never too late because I stopped drinking when I was 54. So I was drinking for 40 years. And one of my big regrets that is something I can't do anything about is that I don't really remember my 40s because for the majority of it, I was alone uh, in my own bubble. Uh, I used to have lock-ins at the weekends. So I would go in with my six, seven bags of clanking shopping Friday afternoon, come out Monday morning with all the bags full of the recycling empty and feel absolutely terrible. But I created this environment for me that felt safe because I couldn't deal with everything because I was spending so much time on my own. It was like white noise to me. Like I couldn't think of that, couldn't think about my childhood, couldn't think of that. So let's blunt it out each and every day. And I create this false sense of security for me that was on one level felt safe for me, but it was so unhealthy and dysfunctional, you know, but I also say to people that, you know, really there's not a lot you can do about the past. You've, you've, but you can change the future. And that's, that's where you, I mean, your future, what, what you develop from those days of drinking, we go on to talk about that later on, but it's amazing what, how you've turned your life around. But I suppose that started with, how it's turned it around for you as a person, how it's changed it for you and your wife and the relationship between you you and your son, you know, that's the foundations, isn't it? Completely. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was just such a incredible journey of learning. And even now I'm still going through aspects of the healing process of the past trauma and stuff with my mum. As I mentioned, I've, um, when we were talking, I did a therapy session with my mum yesterday. So that it's an ongoing thing. And I just found it so helpful to share and to connect. And then just found that, you know, blogs started turning into books and I started sharing videos and things. And, and it, it just helped me. I just felt what I was learning was just so life changing that it could help other people. I think you're that way inclined, though. I watch you, and I'm a real people watcher, and and you're always, always thinking all the time. You're you're very sort of motivational, and you're very hands-on. So tell me about Annie Grace and how that came about. When I first quit, I started a blog, and I think I got the inspiration from Claire Pooley when I read her book, The Sober Diaries, because she obviously started a blog. And I thought, oh, I'll do that. I'll start a blog. That'll help me. 
I was journaling too, but I started using the blog as a online journal. And just like Claire's experience, people started coming and visiting and leaving comments, which made me feel really good about the whole thing that I was doing. So then I started a YouTube channel and Annie's book, This Naked Mind, had really helped me on my own journey. And I thought, well, I'll reach out to her and see if she would be willing to do an interview with me. And I didn't think she would, because to me, she was this amazing sober celebrity and I had literally had a YouTube channel with about 50 subscribers at the time but unbelievably she replied and said I'd love to come on and let's, let's do it so it was about six months after I quit we we did an interview a bit like you know you and I are doing now but it was a, a video one on YouTube which is still on my channel uh, and it was absolutely brilliant to be able to connect with her and also to thank her for what she's shared with the world through her own experience and at the end of the call we finished the video and carried on talking and she said Simon you'd be an amazing sobriety coach. How would you feel about that? I'd never even considered it and thought she was just being nice to me. Next thing, she'd flown me out to America to meet her team. I spent a week staying with her, learning about coaching and really sort of intensively getting into what it was all about. And obviously that was a massive motivation for me. And then I've worked alongside Annie and the team at This Naked Mind ever since become really good friends with her and her family and a lot of them and we've done so many things together she wrote the foreword for my first book I've spoken at the live event she puts on in Denver we've done all sorts together I coach in the alcohol experiment which is a live program she does every other month so she was a massive part of it for me because she was like a sober icon. And then to be able to connect with her and know that she had her eye on what I was doing made sure I definitely stayed on the straight and narrow as I went forward. That's incredible, isn't it? It's like you just sending that message. And I can really relate to that because when you're right at the beginning, you feel like a, a small fish in a huge ocean, don't you? So for yeah. her to actually respond but and agree to do that has completely changed your whole life, isn't it? It did. And then at the end of it, to say to me, you know, come out to America, I want to train you That's as a coach. Yeah, she obviously saw something in me, but because of my stuff from the past, I at the time, I didn't really believe in myself. I didn't feel like I was good enough to do that. Or, yeah. And yeah, she spotted it and off we went and I've never looked back. It's mad as well. You know, we, we talk about rejection as a child and whatever, and she completely accepted you from the off, didn't she? Absolutely. And went out of her way to make an effort to to help me to yeah. you know to help sort of move, move things on to another level and if it wasn't for her a lot of my online presence and the work I've done wouldn't be where it is now yeah you know, my YouTube channel's getting on for the best part of 10,000 subscribers it's yeah, just insane and you've got a big Facebook group following and you're active in Instagram and you know you're someone who always always pops up in my emails with advice and support for other people and it's so important these days and you know there are other options out there I mean did you ever try AA no I've never been to an AA meeting actually and I must admit it's on my to-do list. I want to go to one just to experience it. Uh, I have a couple of friends who quit successfully with AA. So I don't speak badly about it and I have no personal opinion. But what I've heard 
I suppose does, I've got no opinion, it does influence me a bit because I, I do feel that framing sobriety as a lifestyle choice, something we're empowered in doing that we want to do for us, rather than it being an illness, a stigma, a problem, it, it makes a huge difference, that different sort of mindset. And my understanding is AA gives the mindset of, you're you're stuck in recovery for life yeah i mean i went for about six times to meetings uh, place near me and uh, initially it felt great because it felt very spiritual but to be honest it just didn't sit with me and similar to what you said it's really important to say that it's helped millions of people all over the world and i think you either fit or you don't and for me it didn't feel quite right and um that's why I quite commonly don't use the word recovery. I, I use discovery because that suits me because I, I feel that the journey and the path I'm, I'm choosing to walk is more aligned to how I feel as a person and um, to look at it as discovery. And that means discovering negative feelings, positive feelings. You know, it's all the journey. And what you said earlier about you're still learning. I mean, we're going to be learning in 20 years time. Hopefully we're still here. You know, it, it's an ongoing journey, but you're giving yourself the best chance you can by removing that toxic poison from you. Because before, all our decisions and all our mindsets and thoughts were all skewed. And I think, you know, whatever works for you is the right path to choose. Completely. And interestingly, we talk about this in the programme that I run from time to time. But a lot of the people, not all, but a lot, who join my programme, Facebook group, Instagram, etc., a lot of them are women. And my understanding is that perhaps AA has more of a masculine feel to it. Again, I don't know. I've never been to a meeting. But I think this new way of thinking, this new mindset, and the way you described your own experience there, it is more geared up for women, these safe spaces where they can talk, where they feel they're empowered, they're making a change to their life rather than being told they're in recovery and they've got an illness. It, it works for them. And you're right, you've got to find what works for you. Equally, I know some women who've successfully quit through AA. So mm. you, it's like um, it's like shopping for shoes. You've got to find what fits. And I think maybe that um, you should go to a few and saw a couple and see how you feel because it's another way of looking at it. And, you know, we've all got to be open-minded, haven't we? Completely, yeah. And I must admit, you know, for my own journey, my own experience, I get asked about it you know from time to time I, I would quite like to say well yeah I've been to a meeting mm. it'd probably be a bit different going to a meeting where I'm over three years alcohol free but I'd still like to exactly. I think you know I think we can go to these things open-minded and experience yeah. them and you know I, I um joined a NA meeting the other day online just to see what that was like I was invited and I joined it and it didn't work for me. You know, I was on it for an hour and I, it just didn't feel right for me. But yeah. I experienced it. You know, I think I think I struggle with the whole I'm Simon and I'm an alcoholic. I mean, one of the first chapters in my very first book, it says I'm Simon and I'm an alcoholic as the chapter title. Yeah. But the word alcoholic has got a line for it. Yes. Yeah. I don't identify as that. I uh. I see it the whole other way that I'm Simon and I'm free. I'm happy. I've, I've got a totally different mindset, but you're right. Yeah. I, 
I want to, I want to know, I want to learn. Yeah. I, I don't like the labels to be honest. I, I, I'm a human being, you're a human being. And, you know, we've discussed this about smoking, you know, you're a smokeaholic, you know, it, it's, it's a sensitive subject that I'm sure will create debate for some people listening to this podcast, but I also feel it's important to have the conversation as well. Yeah, completely. Um, so talk to me about your books because you've got something exciting to talk about, which I'm really fascinated about um, your new book coming out, but um, the other books you've written are brilliant. Yeah. So my first book was um, the sober survival guide, which was very much off the back of the blog that I mentioned earlier. I've been writing lots of posts, lots of in-depth content. And few people said to me, you should turn this into a book. You know, these posts are really good. So I sort of used the blog as a bit of a foundation and then turned it into part story of my own journey, but with a roadmap to quit an alcohol weaved into it as well and it's been really really successful I actually self-published it and it's consistently been up there on the bestseller you know in the different categories on Amazon which is pretty amazing when you think about it and then last year I released my second book which was a book called how to quit alcohol in 50 days and it's 50 chapters and you read a chapter a day over 50 days and there's exercises at the end of each chapter and I realized I just I just love writing I didn't know this before when I was drinking I I could write every single day and actually if I had to give up everything I do and I could only keep one thing it would be writing because I enjoy it so much I just get immersed in it and that book was actually done through a publisher who has been able to sort of get it out far wider than the book that I published myself, which has just been incredible because I get messages from people all over the world who've read it and changed their life because of what they've learned from it, which is just unbelievable. And during lockdown and where I was exploring a lot of the stuff around my past and my childhood, I just learned so, so much. I felt like I turned into an amateur psychotherapist. So I began writing about my experience of healing my stuff, healing my past. And I actually wrote another book called How to Heal Your Inner Child. And the therapist who I work with, he actually wrote the foreword for it. And that comes out in December. And a few people who've read it have really, like the sort of preview, have really said it's quite powerful and impactful. So my hope is that a lot of people will will get plenty from it i i just think that's a fascinating subject because i always ask people you know not just in my coaching but in life is what memories do you have as a child i remember sundays where the shops were closed my mum and dad would have like the carpenters playing in the background and we would all sit at the table having a sunday roast my dad would be in a garage you know mending something or something it all felt very safe and secure but also remember times of arguments and disconnection and I think as I've quite often spoken about the 14 year old boy and me when mum left the family home and when I think of that lad I honestly want to cry for him because he was emotionally insecure he was emotionally undeveloped really because I grew up in a family that never discussed 
much and that was probably the era you know it was in the 70s early 80s and we never had a discussion around emotions or anything like that and I want to go back and give him a big hug and say to him you know you've got tough times ahead mate but you are so loved and I suppose that's what your book's all about isn't it the inner child is such an important subject yeah and thanks for sharing that it's so it's so powerful and you know even when you mentioned that 14 year old boy I imagine in the lead up to that maybe for as much as four or five years who knows you will have been subconsciously sensing that things weren't quite right and you know imagine what your parents were going through so mm. that would have kind of been going on around you so the, the impact must have been absolutely tremendous I mean as I say my my father abandoned me when I was like about two years old so I, I can't even remember it but um at 14 is such a sensitive age but yeah you're absolutely right the number of people who I connect with who have never really looked at emotions they talk about their family just sweeping everything under the rug but equally emotional neglect as a child can happen the other way where a parent is overbearing overly mm. emotional um, as I mentioned about my mum you know trying to get their emotional needs met from their child rather than from a healthy place or a, another adult so it can come out in so many different ways and types of behaviors but the most common is definitely just emotional avoidance in a family unit and it, it's so sad but so common it's so important isn't it to sort of look back at things but you have to be in the right place you have to be emotionally stable to do that and uh you know there's things i still park now you know I, I went to bournemouth a few weeks ago and i posted about where we used to go on holiday to this chalet in bournemouth and uh, as the family unit and then we went there one more time when mum had left and uh, I was 15 and I was drinking then. And I remember looking at my dad at one period, I was by the pool with a load of people my same age. And he was like, are we going to go fishing then? And I was, nah, dad, I'm going to hang out with my mates and whatever. And there was a load of girls there and whatever. And I, I, I do remember looking at my dad feeling really guilty that actually my mum had left. He had gone out of his way to take us on holiday still where he could have quite easily just sacked it off and it's funny how i remember that pivotal moment mm. of guilt that showed that i had compassion but on that particular holiday i was so drunk every night they had barley wine behind the barn <sighs> i mean the thing is simon i don't know how we got bloody served to be honest but i think it was different in those days you know you never had idea or anything and i just think they because it's probably a private holiday camp i can't remember I, I can't remember. Maybe there was someone older there getting his drinks, but it's it's such a, a kind of pivotal thing, I think. In healing, your past is how you move forward. Yeah, it really is. And knowing that actually that is at the roots of the problem. Alcohol is the effect. It's not the cause. And the cause is all that other stuff that is below the surface. There's a brilliant diagram that I show people in my boot camps, and it shows how much of what we have in our mind and our body is, is actually in our subconscious. Like 90% is in our subconscious. We don't look at our beliefs or a lot of our thoughts and 
values, things like that. So, so many things. So the work is all about bringing what's in the subconscious into the conscious mind, bringing a new level of awareness about yourself. And then you start to question it. You start to challenge yourself in a really healthy and positive way and realize you sort of answer questions about yourself. But there can be times when you have more questions than answers, and that can feel really tough. It's funny you say about um, getting served. I can clearly remember the first time I went into a pub with my friends. I was about 13 and we lived in a military town in Hampshire and kind of made out that we were new recruits in the army. But how on earth, you're right, how on earth we got served in those days. Yeah. I can remember staggering back from the pub after probably three or four pints, you know, the first time ever. Just crazy. God, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the things uh, I used to do when I was that age, you know. But anyway, moving on. So you're doing your boot camps now, and it'd be great to talk about the event that you're holding in January next year. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to um, touch on it. So for a long time, I've aspired to do an event similar to the one that I spoke at in America. Whether it'll be quite as glitzy, I, I don't know, but it's, it's going to be really good. So uh, as lockdown began and COVID sort of start, things started changing and it all began coming to a kind of end. I thought, right, take the plunge, let's do it. And I booked a venue and asked some of the people that I would love to speak at this live event to, to come along. And obviously you're coming along, Dave. I think uh, hey. a lot of your fans are going to be there. They'll probably be you know, at the stage door entrance from about seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, it'd be tough, mate. But... I know it will be. It'll be like one direction showing up. Um, so we're doing yeah we're doing this live event on the 2nd of January it's in Surrey and it's going to be rather than just a bunch of speakers doing random talks on random topics it's going to be quite structured but people will be able to obviously hear them talk about their own stories within that but different people will talk on different topics uh, kind of starting with how do we get through the early days right through to maintaining sobriety long term towards the end we've got an after party and i just think it's going to be a really fantastic opportunity to connect with people on the same journey realize that there's no shame in being sober this is actually a really cool thing and meeting some really interesting and yeah. exciting people so i can't wait and uh you know you attended my event a few weeks ago and there were people that came from all over the country and it'd be a bit similar to that but also very very educational you know and exactly. uh, people can really really gain from the different angles that people talk about and I, i'm grateful you've asked me to be there i can't remember what you've asked me to talk about but i wondered why i had had your slides <laughs> <laughs> but i'm really excited about it and i think these kind of things are what people can look forward to education is key in such a lot of areas and i remember at the beginning of this podcast you said you know right at the beginning of your journey you educate yourself and it's what I quite often when I work with my clients, I give them lots of different bits of information. We haven't covered on this podcast, but it's too long to talk about is the amazing Gabo Marte when he yeah. talks about trauma in childhood and stuff. You might have had none, but it's 
most people have, but it's such an important key to unlocking things in your life. And as you say, it's such a forward journey. And I feel quite excited about what I've got ahead and my self-development and growth. And I have no problem sharing it. I've never been one of those people that glamorize it to the extent of, look at me, I'm sober, my eyes are twinkling. You know, I've shared quite a few times that I've got really, really down days. And it's about being authentic, isn't it? I think It absolutely is. Showing up in the world as the, re- the real version of you. I think a lot of people forget that we're made up of many different parts, a bit like a fruitcake, and we have different ingredients. And all of us are made up of good parts, bad parts, maybe parts we're embarrassed about, and bits in the middle. And it's only when you're able to own all of those bits that you can become truly whole. I think if you spend your whole time, like you said, just glamorizing it and I've got a perfect life. Well, that's not true. Everybody has down days or stuff that maybe they feel a bit of shame around. It's all about owning the different parts of us and accepting that and knowing that we're, we're good enough. We're good enough just as we are. Ah, oh, 100%. And and that's how I'm going to finish this chat, mate, because I think that's the perfect way to end. I'm going to put all your details in the show notes. You're an incredible inspiration, Simon. I think you're just such a lovely bloke. And I'm so grateful that you've been so open on my podcast today. And I'm sure people will really resonate with a lot of things you said today so thank you so much for joining me oh that means a lot thanks for having me it's been great talking to you dave as always all right mate see you soon see you soon i hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you so much for listening one for the road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms Don't forget to subscribe and if you have a moment then please do leave a review so that more listeners can enjoy the conversation. You can find me on Instagram at SoberDave or drop me an email at info at davidwilsoncoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great week and take care.